we think about what humans have done, what we have accomplished, things that we have built, it, it really is incredible if you think about some of the accomplishments. So something like being able to, to send someone into space and bring them back. The ability to tomorrow, you could get on a plane and within hours be literally on the other side of the planet. Skyscrapers that are built that are so massive. Diseases that have been cured. Technological advances like a phone that you carry in your pocket that has so much more power than the greatest computer just decades ago. To the coffee maker with a timer. What a blessing of technology. But there are some things that humans so far have found to be beyond our control. That in fact we have no power over. And one of those is the weather. We have done all that we can to, to grow in our ability to predict, and sometimes they've done better at that, but on the whole, it's still not great. We have no ability to control it. As we know in Boston, this great world-class city, a blizzard comes and brings everything to a screeching halt. Or a hurricane that can devastate an entire region, a, a, a tornado that can chart a path, wiping out everything in its path. And at best, today, we can try to predict them, try to minimize the damage, but really no ability on our own to do anything to actually calm a massive storm. And if you've ever been near one of those powerful storms, if you've ever experienced it, you probably have felt, at the very least, a sense of awe at the sheer force of the storm. Or possibly at times you felt real fear. Real concern for your safety or for your possessions. And so we wonder, what is that power? And is there any power like that? The power of the great storm. Does anyone, does anything have power to match that? And that's what we're going to explore this morning in our passage. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew 8 will begin in verse 23, and the Bible's near you. You can find that on page 813, page 813. I encourage you to open up a copy of the Bible or open up a Bible app just so you can see the text in front of you, so you can see exactly where I'm drawing these thoughts from. If you're newer to reading the Bible, the larger numbers are the chapter numbers, so we're in chapter 8. The smaller numbers, the verse numbers, will be in verse 23, and I'll mention those verse numbers throughout our time and if you don't own a copy of the Bible yourself, we as a church would love to give you one. At the back of the room, there's a table, there's a sign that says free Bibles, a stack of Bibles right there. We would love for you to go by there following the service. Just grab one of those and take it with you as our gift to you this morning. So today we're continuing our series in the Gospel of Matthew. We pick it up, Matthew 8, beginning in verse 23. And when he, Jesus, got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this, that even winds and sea 
obey him. And today as we look at our passage, I hope you'll see that Jesus is the powerful Savior, so live by faith in him through the storms of life. And we'll look at our passage in two parts. So first we'll see a great storm, and second, a great calm. So a great storm and then a great calm. So first we see a great storm in verses 23 and 24. Now, as we mentioned last week, a great crowd had gathered. As Jesus has been teaching, people are amazed at his teaching. He's been doing this miraculous works. So there's a, a great crowd that's there. But Jesus has said, we're going to go across, uh, across the Sea of Galilee, away from the crowd to the other side. And so that's where our text picks up today, that Jesus and a subset of his disciples get in the boat and begin to make their way across the sea. And as they're doing this, we see in our text that this great storm is stirred up. They were on the Sea of Galilee, which is about 700 feet below sea level. There are also mountains and hills nearby. So that combination makes it very common for really quick-forming, violent storms to happen on the sea. So this was not unusual at all. But we see in this that this was a severe storm, so that verse 24, the, the boat, the text says, was being swamped by the waves. So it's so great that the waves are crashing into the boat. Notice that after Matthew describes the storm, then he says this, but he was asleep. The storm is raging. Jesus is sound asleep. The boat is being swamped by the waves, and Jesus is snoring. Now, there are so many things that I admire about Jesus. And this is one of the more trivial ones, but I do admire this ability. To be able to sleep, basically, apparently, anywhere, anytime, and sleep really quite soundly. I mean, there are many areas in life that I'm praying to make, God would make me more and more like Jesus. But this is one of those areas where I think I'm, I'm getting pretty close to being like Jesus in this way. When our, our son was born, uh, my wife had some preterm labor a couple of months before he was born. And so we went to the hospital, and they, they checked her out. And they're like, look, he's not going to come tonight. Everything's fine, but we're just going to keep her overnight for observation. So I stayed there the night, but it seems to me everything's fine. So I should get some sleep. So I, there was a chair in the room, and, and I went to sleep, and I slept soundly the whole night. It was a fine night for me while, you know, doctors are coming in and checking on her and nurses and things like that. And apparently not only did I sleep soundly, but, but apparently sort of loudly as well. So apparently I'm, I'm snoring. She's kind of embarrassed, kind of apologizing. Not one of my finer moments as a husband, to say the least. In hindsight, I should have said to her, I was just trying to be like Jesus. I was just trying as, as much as I could to be like Jesus. I still don't think she would buy that. But, uh, but that was not a great moment for me as a husband. But here's Jesus, notice, sound asleep as this great storm rages. And so the disciples come to Jesus and they wake him up and they say to him, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. Save us, Lord, we are about to die in this storm. So they're terrified. And what we know of Jesus' disciples is that several of his disciples were professional fishermen. Not all of them, but some of them were quite experienced. So these are tough fishermen who know this sea and that have seen more than their share of storms. And yet here, they are panicked. And they're convinced they're about to die. So these fishermen... Go to this carpenter-turned-teacher. 
to save them, to rescue them from perishing. And I wonder, what did they think Jesus was going to do? He said, they say save. And I think my own, this is my opinion, I think they were expecting Jesus to pray for them. It's all they could do at this point. Jesus, pray for us. We don't know for a fact. But this is the moment of truth. They've woken Jesus up. They said, Jesus, save us. We're in the midst of this great storm. And that leads us to second, a great calm in the rest of our passage. So the question is, what would Jesus do after they wake him up? Well, he turns to the disciples. He says to them, why are you afraid, oh, you of little faith? Then he turns to the wind and the sea, and he speaks to them. He rebukes them, and it was a great calm. I mean, it's sort of like a parent who maybe has, you know, five-year-old, eight-year-old child, and they're out to eat at a, at a restaurant, and the kids are kind of, you know, out of control, and jumping around, and they say to them, stop, sit still. That's the authority Jesus shows over waves and the sea. Stop. Be calm. And notice, he doesn't pray to the Father. Jesus simply speaks directly to the storm, directly to the sea, and the wind stopped, the waves are calmed, and it's not simply that the the storm dissipates, but it goes from raging storm to great calm instantly. And the disciples' response we see is they were amazed. So they say, what sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? So that informs that, at the very least, whatever they thought Jesus was going to do, it wasn't this. They didn't think Jesus had this much authority. For when they see it, they are amazed. So they were terrified at the storm, and now they marvel. In a sense, they're terrified by Jesus. Like, wow, we have never seen power and authority like this. Across the Gospel of Matthew, we See, several times where people say something that is true, but actually proves to be truer than they even realize. So there's actually more weight and more meaning to their words than they understood in the moment. And we have some of that in our text today. So they say, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? And friends, that's a tremendously important question. What sort of man is Jesus? Is he only a man? Is he more than a man? It's an important question for all of us today. And what this text says, Jesus is no ordinary man. The central point of this passage is to make the case that Jesus is God. Many people want to say of Jesus that he's only a man. Perhaps they would say he's a great man. A great man who's also a great teacher, they would say. But, but here, the argument is Jesus is not only a, God, not only a man, he's, he's the God-man, fully God and fully man. This is God himself who has come near. Jesus is doing something here that ordinary people don't do. 
Something else they said that was truer than they knew was they said to Jesus, save us, Lord. We are perishing. What they don't understand is that in essence, when the, by saying to Jesus, save us, they're basically praying to Jesus. And they're saying to Jesus, Jesus, save us from death. Friends, what we see built across the gospel is this was Jesus' ultimate mission. To be the Savior, the Rescuer, the Deliverer, who would deliver people from the death that we actually deserve. They cry out and say, we are perishing, and that is true for every one of us in the room. Every person, everywhere, we are perishing, and we will perish spiritually unless someone intervenes to rescue us. All of us are going to face a great eternal storm, the judgment of God, unless someone intervenes and saves. So we're in desperate need of help, and Jesus came to rescue, to save. To the Jewish hearers of this passage, they would have immediately thought of another story in their history, and that's the story of Jonah. And there are numerous parallels between Jonah's experience and Jesus. For both Jesus and the prophet Jonah were on a boat. And both boats were overwhelmed by a great storm. And both Jonah and Jesus were asleep during the storm. They were both awakened by others on the ship. And they were told, both of them, Jonah and Jesus, we are going to die. Now, Jonah says to them, it's my fault. This storm is my fault because of my sin. And in fact, Jonah said, the way to stop the storm is to throw me overboard into the storm, and then there will be calm. And that's what they did. Because of his sin, he was thrown into the storm. And then there was calm. Of course, Jesus was not thrown into the storm that day. The sinless Son of God speaks to the storm and brings calm. But there was a day that was coming when Jesus would be thrown into a storm, an even greater storm. In fact, Jesus would himself throw himself into the storm as Jesus would walk towards the cross. And the sinless Son of God would go to the cross not because of his sin, like Jonah, but he would go for our sin. He would go to the cross to die a substitutionary death as a sacrifice in our place, the sinless Son of God, in the place of sinners like us, to be thrown into the storm enduring the wrath of God, the storm that you and I deserve. And Christ chose to endure that, that through his death and resurrection, he would provide salvation, deliverance, that you would not have to face that storm of the wrath of God. Now through that, he's provided as a free gift, salvation, to any and all who'd receive it by faith. Held out to you today, this good news. Friend, if you're not a Christian, we want you to know of this gracious rescue. Jesus, the Savior, came, threw himself in the storm in our place, that he might rescue you and me transforming our lives today and life eternal. So we're going to urge you today, turn to Christ, say to Christ today, save me. I'm perishing. Jesus, would you rescue me?
Jesus had said to the disciples, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? He's saying if they had recognized who Jesus was, they, they wouldn't have had to be terrified by the storm. Because Jesus is no ordinary man, but he is God. And because Jesus had come to save from perishing, they didn't need to be afraid. Now this faith for the disciples, that was small on this day, would grow. But it would grow through fits and starts. There would be some high points and low points in faith. There'd be times when it looked like they were really trusting. There'd be times when it looked like they had no faith at all. But across the gospel accounts, into the book of Acts, we see the disciples grow in confidence, in faith, in trust in God. If you're a Christian, that's how it works for us as well. When we have faith, we trust in Christ, we cry out to him to save, but we don't instantly have a mountain of faith. Very often we have just a little bit of faith. So often we have fits and starts, a little bit of faith, and then a down, and then some growth, and then a down. That's the story of every Christian everywhere. So if that's where you find yourself today, you're not alone in the ups and downs of growing in faith. But God is faithful across the years, across the decades. We grow graciously day by day more and more in faith. So when we think about our story today, the, the, the point of this story is the stunning power of Jesus. His identity, he truly is God. That's the center of our text, but that's not the only point in our text. This story also lets us see that Jesus Christ is the Lord over the storm, and in the storm... And he's the one who allows storms into his people's lives. And he's the one who brings us through the storms. Friends, think about it. So if Jesus is God, as we're arguing, and he's able to stop the storm like this, it would seem that he also knew that the storm was coming. And if he's able to stop the storm, in the midst of the storm, he'd be able to stop the storm from even starting. He had that sort of power and authority. And yet Jesus didn't do that. Instead, he takes his disciples right into the storm. Why? Why would Jesus allow his disciples to find themselves in the midst of the storm where they would think, we're going to die? I mean, was Jesus somehow cruel? Does he want to torment his disciples? No, Jesus takes them right into the storm so that through their experience in the storm, they would come to know more of him. That they would see more of his care and more of his commitment and more of his power because they had found themselves in this storm. He took them into the storm so that ultimately their faith might grow. So it wasn't cruel for Jesus to take them into the storm. In fact, it was loving and good and even fruitful for them that they endured this storm. And friends, the reality for all of us, and I don't have to tell you this, is that all of us will face storms in this life. Sometimes there are storms we face individually or as a family, sometimes more broadly as a community, or even as a global community. The storms of 
broken relationships, a lost job, a career that's been derailed, a professional life that just hasn't worked out the way you thought or you'd hoped, sometimes real enduring physical pain and suffering in your life or in the lives of those that you love, maybe deep, destructive financial problems the death of those that we love, pandemics that impact all of us, and the the list of storms goes on and on. And some of the storms in our life are caused by our own unwise and sinful choices. Many of the storms, we we don't see an immediate cause, and as best we can discern, it's not something we have done, but nevertheless, it's a storm that we endure. Friend, I wonder if you find yourself today in the midst of a storm. Christianity is not the promise of a storm-free life. Taken out of context, somebody might take this text and say, look, Jesus promises he will always pull you right out of the storm. But across the scriptures, in fact, we see that's not the case. Very often, God's people endure Long-term storms. The Apostle Paul found himself in the exact same situation. He was on a ship in a storm. He was not rescued. In fact, he was in a shipwreck. So across the scriptures, across history, the promise of Christianity is not that we won't face storms. In the account of this in the Gospel of Mark, in Mark chapter 4, we give them just a little bit more of the comment of the disciples. And here's what they say in Mark 4. They say, don't you care that we are perishing? So in, 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 in addition to we're perishing, they ask this really important question. Jesus, don't you even care? I mean, do you care that we're about to be swamped by this storm and And if we're honest, when we find ourselves in the midst of these storms of life, we often wonder the same thing. Jesus, don't you care? Don't you care that I'm suffering? Don't you care about the pain that I'm enduring? Don't you care or are you even there? Maybe this morning when you walked in, that's the question in your mind. Does Jesus even care about you? And it's okay to ask questions like that. Jesus' disciples ask that same question. And the truth is we won't understand all that's going on in the storms of our lives until we're ultimately with Christ. So often we can't discern why we're here. Often, even in retrospect, we don't understand much about it. There are some things we can know as we face the storms of life. Friends, if God is powerful enough to stop the storms and we're frustrated with him for not stopping the storm, we must also allow for the fact that he's wise enough that he could have a reason not to stop the storm. He's able to stop the storm, but he's wise. He's good. And even though we'd love for him to stop the storm, we're going to trust there is a reason he isn't stopping. And one thing we can know for sure is that 
Storms can't mean that God doesn't care about his children. Friend, if you're a child of God, the storms cannot mean that God doesn't love you. That question has been answered eternally through the cross. So God loves his children. Friend, God loves you in the midst of the storm that you're in today or in the midst of a storm that you may be in decades from now. God loves you. Friends, we can also know that God is always present with his people when they face the storms. We could even say that God is especially present with us in the storms of life. For one of the great mysteries and realities of the Christian faith is that the Holy Spirit dwells inside of every Christian. So God is not simply near you, but by the Spirit in you, in the storm. We can also know that God so often grows and matures his people through the storms of life. I can imagine that the disciples of Jesus who would have seen future storms on the Sea of Galilee, never quite saw a storm the same after that day. Friends, when we face storms, we have confidence because of God's past faithfulness. And and there's a growth of confidence for the disciples that would have come because they came from the storm. If Jesus would have wanted to, he could have taken the disciples to the shore and said, guys, I want you to know that if there were the worst storm possible and we were out there in a boat, I have the power I could silence the storm and rescue you. That would be a good intellectual exercise for them to hear that. A good teaching for them. It was true. But it was completely different that they actually experienced it. They were in the storm. They saw and experienced his power delivering them. It was a much deeper, lasting lesson than simply the intellectual exercise of his power. But they saw it. They experienced it. And friends, when we face the storms, the most important thing is not the size of our faith, but the one we have our faith in, Jesus So with whatever little faith we have, that's all that it takes. We trust in Christ. We look to him by faith. And friends, it's important to note that nearness to Jesus doesn't mean less storms in life. In fact, sometimes it means more storms. Some of the storms we face in life are the result of following Jesus. It might be opposition on campus or in the workplace or in your family because you follow Jesus and others are not Christians. Sometimes it's the storms that we face because Jesus desires most of all to mature us, to make us more and more like him. And the fact is when the sun is out and the sea is calm, it's tempting to live a self-reliant life. When, When The sea is calm. I'm typically not calling out for a Savior to rescue me. And so it's God's grace that he allows these storms to come that turn us back to him, that cause us to again cry out, asking for his faithful deliverance. So friend, do you find yourself in a storm today? Let me encourage you that if you're a Christian, God has not forsaken you. He will never forsake you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. 
And friend, if you are a Christian, remember what Christ has done for you. That Christ endured the storm of God's wrath in your place for you. A picture of the boundless love of God for you. So no matter what the storms of life you may face, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. And friend, if you find yourself in a storm today, let me encourage you, cry out to him today. And maybe all that you can say is like, Jesus, help. Jesus, save. Jesus, would you rescue me? Would you help me in the storm? And for now, I encourage you with, with the confidence you have, trust in him. Tell yourself the truth that God is working for your good through these difficulties. It's often not obvious. Even our growth is not often obvious. Sometimes we, we go through a storm in this life and we don't immediately think, wow, I've just really grown in faith. Sometimes it feels like I've just been staggered by the storm. But God is working in you. And he will continue to work in you. Let me encourage you as well. Remember the past storms that God has brought you through. You've been through storms already in your life. God has been faithful in the past. So it's helpful to remember, I remember that storm. I remember that storm. If you've been in Boston very long, there's one winter storm above all that's talked about. And every winter, they talk about it, they show the photos of it, and it's called the the blizzard of 78. And it really is astounding to see the photos of of cars everywhere and, and just the depth of the storm. And so people retell the story of that. And for the Christian, we'll be helped to remember. I remember that storm 10 years ago. It was hard. But God brought me through. God has grown me since then. I remember that storm three years ago. It was painful. I doubted that God cared. He's brought me through. I remember the storm six months ago and so forth. Friend, remember, tell yourself, tell others, remember God's past faithfulness. Friends, Jesus, our Savior, is powerful. And he is with you today, and he will be with you in every storm that you face. The storm you're in today, the storm you may face tomorrow, the storm decades ahead. Trust in him. He is good, loving, and powerful.